0: Well, hey, good morning, Plum Creek. Good to see you guys. Uh, good to see everybody online here, too. And uh, I am so excited to see how things are coming along with the new building. Uh, I know that most of you haven't had the chance to take a tour yet, so I appreciate Jared and Tony showing us around. You know, As the weeks go by, it's getting easier to see how this building will be an amazing tool for leading people to Jesus I want to go back to that photo that shows the interior of the building. Uh, That's the big room there. And uh, I got excited when I saw this picture because it helped me visualize how we can use this space. Right there, you're looking at 112 chairs facing the stage, and there's still plenty of space in the back of the room. Uh, This is going to be a great environment for our student ministry. Uh, Our students will be able to worship and hang out and invite their friends, even if we still have to socially distance for a while. Uh, But this building will also be a great space for our adult discipleship ministry, as well as the sharing center and family promise and special events. It's an exciting time in the life of our church, and I want to thank all of you who have contributed in some way to make this possible And I do hope that many of you will volunteer to help us get across the finish line. And I also hope you'll help us come up with a name. Um, But I want to be clear about something. We did not start this project because we just wanted to have a new building. Uh, This is not about having something nice for our church family. It's always been about our mission. It's about leading people to a life-changing relationship with Jesus. This facility will be a place where everyone is welcome. This is one more opportunity to show hospitality and share God's love. It's one more opportunity to invite people to experience the hope and the life that is found only in Jesus. This is who we are at Plum Creek. And, you know, 2021 has been a very good time to reevaluate who we are and, and what it means to be the church. This is a, a perfect time to do that because compared to a year ago, so many things are different now. Our world has been through a major shakeup, and it's not over yet. Uh, right now, it's, it's a good time to evaluate. It's a good time to answer some, some very important questions. First, we need to decide what is truly important in life. What is it that really matters Because we know that we were not created to just kill time on earth. God created us to serve him, to live for him, to be a blessing to others, to give glory to God. And that leads us to a second question. Based on our God-given purpose, how should we spend the rest of our lives? Once we have clear answers to those two questions, we need to get moving. COVID or no COVID, Uh, you know, no matter what happens with the pandemic, God will provide us with ways to live out our purpose. So this is where we are right now at Plum Creek. We are looking to God and we're asking him to guide us. As a church, what should we be doing? Where should we go from here? Last week, we wrapped up a series called The Way Forward. And in that series, we looked at several statements that Jesus made about his identity And his mission, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus said that he came to bring good news to the poor. He came to bring sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free. He came to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And we know that today, God calls the church to carry on the mission of Jesus. In some ways, we do that on a physical level. We share with people in need. We work to to bring freedom to the oppressed. But the biggest part of our mission is what happens on a spiritual level. We point people to Jesus, and and we invite people to find hope and forgiveness and salvation and eternal life through him. And it's been good to take a few weeks and look back at those statements from Jesus, but now it's time to put those statements into action. Today, we begin a series called Count Me In. And over the next few weeks, I'm going to show you some specific ways that you can get on board with Plum Creek as we follow where God is leading us. It doesn't matter who you are. You are invited to join us on this journey. And for some of you, that means renewing your commitment to be a part of Plum Creek. For others, that means making a commitment for the first time. And I want to give you a preview of what we're talking about this month Uh, We've got four weeks in this series, and each week is a statement that relates to your personal identity. And each statement happens to begin with the letters I-N. Today, we begin by saying, I am invited. Uh, Through Jesus, God has invited you into a relationship with him, but God also invites you to be a part of what he's doing in the world today. Next week, we're going to look at the statement, I'm intentional that means you are not going to coast through life on autopilot. You're going to be intentional about spending your time on earth doing what God has called you to do. In week three, the title is, I'm Influential. You understand that God has put you in a unique position to influence others. He's put certain people in your life, in your path, and he wants you to be a blessing to those people. In the last week of this series, we'll look at the phrase, I'm invested. And this is where the rubber meets the road. Are you in or are you out? Are you going to be passive or will you be active? Are you going to stand still or are you ready to get moving? My prayer is that each one of us will get to the end of this series and say, count me in. Uh, Over the next few weeks, uh, you're going to have several opportunities to get involved And one thing I'm really excited about is our prayer and worship night coming up on Wednesday, February 24th. Uh, We're going to meet here in this room, but you can also join us online. And this night is very important because we can't move forward without God. We are completely dependent on His power, and that's why we pray. We pray because God reveals Himself through prayer. We pray because God responds to his people when we pray. So I hope you'll mark this night on your calendars and make sure to join us. But right now, I want to dig into our theme for today. You're invited. You are invited to be a part of God's family and a part of his mission. And that is so good to know because nobody likes to feel unwelcome. Have you ever been in a situation where you felt like you didn't belong? You probably have. That's pretty much a universal feeling. Uh, I, I remembered this week a time when I felt like I didn't belong. Uh, it was down in Mexico back in 2005 when Hannah and I were on our honeymoon. That trip did not go how I originally planned it. Uh, we were supposed to spend a week in Cozumel, but eight days before the wedding... Hurricane Wilma slammed into Cozumel and did a ton of damage. And unfortunately, our resort took the brunt of that. Uh, We weren't going to be able to stay there, so that left me scrambling to figure out a plan B. And I had this idea. I thought, well, we could still go to the same basic region. We could just move inland because they weren't affected by the hurricane there. And that's how we ended up in the center of the Yucatan Peninsula in a town called Merida. And uh, we got to experience all kinds of cool things on our honeymoon, but it was very interesting. In the week that we were there, we never saw anyone else from the U.S. And most of the people we met were very friendly. Uh, However, there was one particular place where we felt unwelcome. It was a restaurant. We went there for dinner, and it was very busy, but when we walked in, nobody greeted us, so we just wandered around the dining room trying to find somebody who would help us find a table, but we had no luck, and it was the strangest thing. As we walked around the room, it seemed like everybody was just staring at us with a look on their faces that seemed to say, what are you doing in our restaurant? So, uh, I don't know if that's how they wanted us to feel, but that's definitely how I felt. And I looked at Hannah and I said, I think we should just give them their restaurant back and let's go find someplace else. And that's what we did. But you know that feeling, right? It's no fun to feel like somebody doesn't want you there. It's no fun to feel like you don't belong. But you know what's really tragic? It's even more tragic when the church makes people feel unwelcome. Over the years, I've seen that all too often. In some cases, I've seen churches be unfriendly to people who didn't dress right or look right. At a different church uh, years ago, there was a visitor with tattoos and body piercings. And I found out this visitor heard some people talking behind his back and they made it very clear that he didn't belong. In other cases, I've seen churches be unwelcoming toward people who came from kind of a rough background or maybe just a different background. And the reason this is tragic is because churches are supposed to follow the example of Jesus, right? And what was Jesus like? Well, he communicated the same message to everyone he met. The message was, You're invited. God invites you to belong. Now, not everybody accepted that invitation. And not everybody was willing to listen to some of the hard things that Jesus said. But Jesus was always consistent. He always offered love and acceptance. And then it was up to the other person whether or not they would receive that love and acceptance. And today, Jesus is no different than he was back then. It doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. You're invited. Your past doesn't matter. Even your present doesn't matter. Jesus will take you right where you are and get you where you need to be. There's a story in Scripture that is the perfect demonstration of this quality in Jesus. If you have a Bible or a Bible app, you can turn to Luke chapter 7, uh, starting with verse 36. But before we do that, I want to give you a little context. At the beginning of this story, a man named Simon invites Jesus over for dinner. And Simon was a Pharisee. The Pharisees were religious leaders. They were highly respected in the community. Uh, They knew Scripture backwards and forwards. And they were very determined to follow every Old Testament law and regulation down to the letter. Uh, When it came to rule-following, The Pharisees always made the all-star team. But from the perspective of Jesus, the Pharisees had a real problem. The problem was they were big on rules and they were short on love. So let's see how this story plays out. Luke 7, 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. So this is a good thing, right? Simon wants to hang out with Jesus, and and that makes sense because at this point, Jesus is a rising star. He's already famous as a teacher and a rabbi and a miracle worker. In fact, earlier in the same chapter, Jesus raises a young man from the dead. So Simon wants to learn more about this young rabbi, and he gets a few friends together, and he plans a big dinner party. Now, it's important to know that hospitality was a big deal in first-century Jewish culture. When you invited people into your home, you would normally set out a basin of water for your guests to wash their feet as they came in. And it was common for a servant to do the foot washing. Sometimes the host would offer scented olive oil for the guests to put into their hair. And honored guests would be greeted with a kiss as they walked in. For whatever reason, though, Simon does none of these things for Jesus. But he does offer dinner and conversation. So they sit back and they eat and they talk. Now, it's very likely that this dinner party was not private. Because uh, at parties like this, observers often looked in from the outside Some of them came because they wanted to listen to the conversation. They just found it interesting. You know, if you don't have TV or Netflix or video games, you might as well listen to some Pharisees argue about theology. But other people crashed these parties for a different reason. The poor and the hungry would come looking for leftovers. And it was a social custom to allow those kinds of visitors So, when an uninvited guest walks into Simon's house, that's not altogether shocking. However, what happens next here was definitely shocking. Let's keep reading. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. Now, whatever Simon and Jesus had been talking about, their conversation just got derailed. Uh, This woman is making a complete spectacle of herself. She's not like those observers off to the side just listening quietly. And she's not like one of those poor people looking for food. She came to show her love and devotion to Jesus. But she does that in an extremely awkward way. I can just imagine the Pharisees sitting around that table looking at each other like, can you believe this is happening? Now, this story is very similar to a different story in the Bible. Uh, You can find the other story in John chapter 12. And in that passage, Jesus is at a different party. And a different woman pours perfume on his feet and wipes them off with her hair. But in that case, the woman is Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus. And Mary was a good friend of Jesus, and she was well-respected. But here in Luke 7, this woman does not have a good reputation. Luke refers to her as a woman with a sinful life. And pretty much all Bible scholars agree that she's a prostitute. And so when Luke calls her a sinful woman, he's being kind, isn't he? Uh, Think about it. What would you rather be called? Kind of a generic sinner or a prostitute? Uh, I think if we were in that position, most of us would rather not be labeled as a prostitute. In all likelihood, though, this woman did walk around with that label. So people looked down on her. They told jokes about her. In respectable society, she was made to feel unwelcome or unwanted. But the truth is, this woman had a backstory. She had a a long history that led up to this moment. And the text here doesn't give us that backstory, but we can imagine some possibilities, right? Maybe she was abused when she was younger. And Even though that abuse wasn't her fault, maybe she really struggled with guilt and shame and a lack of self-worth. And because of that, she tried to find love and acceptance in ways that were harmful and even wrong. But it could be that her story was different. Maybe there was a man who abandoned her at some point, and maybe this man told her that they would be together forever. Maybe they had a child together. But then when that guy took off, life got really hard. Because at that time, if you're a single woman or a single mom and you have no family supporting you, it was very difficult to make a living. So maybe she saw prostitution as her only option. In the end, we don't know what her story was. However, I, I think it's safe to say that she never wanted to end up with the life that she had. And some of us understand that, right? Some of us would say, man, I never expected to be in the mess that I'm in now. And when you feel that way, it's easy to lose hope. But somehow, when this woman saw Jesus, a a glimmer of hope appeared inside of her. Now, again, Luke doesn't give us the background, but I believe this woman must have had some prior experience with Jesus. Maybe she heard him preach. Maybe she saw him perform a miracle. Or maybe she saw the way that he loved outsiders and sinners. For whatever reason, she knew that she could run to Jesus. That's why she threw herself at his feet in love and worship. That's why she poured out that perfume, which was likely the most expensive thing that she owned. But to the rest of the guests, her actions were scandalous. She didn't care, though. Whatever the consequences might be, she was compelled to show her devotion to Jesus. But what would the response be? Well, in the case of Simon the Pharisee, he's just appalled at the whole scene. He couldn't believe that this call girl showed up at his dinner party and, and showed this inappropriate attention to his honored guest. Verse 39 says, When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, but she is a sinner. Now, you see what Simon is doing here. He is rejecting this sinful woman, which for him was a foregone conclusion, but he's also in the process of rejecting Jesus. Simon has two thoughts here. Number one, he's thinking Jesus is no prophet because he hasn't figured out that this woman is a prostitute. And number two, if Jesus is aware of this woman's occupation, he is no man of God because he's doing nothing to stop her scandalous behavior. But what we're seeing here is that Simon is like a lot of those other Pharisees. He's big on rules and he's short on love. But this is where Jesus is like no one else. Not only in that room, but among everyone who's ever lived. Jesus invites the people others reject. Jesus invites the people that others reject. Now, if you are an outcast or an outsider, you're still invited. If you've done things that you see as unforgivable, you're still invited. In fact, look at this. Jesus even reaches out to a judgmental person like Simon. He gives Simon the chance to know and experience God's love. Check out verse 40. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. And and then Jesus tells a short and simple parable. He says, two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. <laughs> you have judged correctly, Jesus said. It's a simple parable with a simple meaning. But did you notice what Simon said here? He says, I suppose Simon sees the point, but he doesn't want to admit it. He doesn't want to consider the possibility that God might be willing to forgive this woman. Simon knows that this woman does not deserve acceptance from God. But here's the thing. Simon doesn't seem to be aware of the fact that he does not deserve acceptance from God either. See, the lesson of this story is not that the woman needed a lot of forgiveness and Simon only needed a little. The lesson is that they both needed a lot of forgiveness. It's just that the woman was aware of that and Simon wasn't. Simon didn't view himself as a person who needed a lot of forgiveness. So Jesus tries to help him understand. Verse 44, Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. And then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. And the other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to this woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now this had to be the best moment of this woman's life when everyone else rejected her and made her feel unwelcome, when everyone else used her and made her feel unloved, she finally found someone who invited her to belong, invited her to a place of security and love. Now, Jesus could have said, woman, you have broken God's commandments, and you will get the punishment that you deserve. Jesus had every right to say that, but he didn't. Instead, he offered this woman the best gift that anyone could ever have, a restored relationship with God. He offered forgiveness and salvation. And that's the amazing thing about grace. Grace in Christ means we don't get the bad that we do deserve, and we do get the good that we don't deserve. Uh, Through Jesus, God's grace is available to everyone. You are invited to receive it but you do have to accept the invitation. And the first step is to admit that you need that grace. And this is a good time to ask ourselves, in this story, who am I most like? Am I like that sinful woman who knelt in repentance at the feet of Jesus? Or am I more like Simon? Do I see myself as someone who doesn't really need God's grace as much as some prostitute or some other big-time sinner. You know, it's actually tough to determine which of these two characters you are most like. And here's why. If I am more like Simon, I'm probably not aware of it. I probably don't see it that way. That's how pride works. It blinds you to your own flaws, It blinds you to your own need for grace. But there is a way to evaluate this. Just ask yourself this question When was the last time that I truly grieved over my sin? When was the last time I actually shed tears over the fact that I have sinned against God and sinned against others? Am I aware of the damage that I cause when I lash out at others in anger? Do I have a genuine and deep regret over my greed or my deceitfulness or my lust or my pride? Do I truly understand that my sin was enough to send Jesus to the cross? Do I truly understand the depth of my need for God's forgiveness and grace? If you can't remember the last time you felt the depth of your sinfulness... It's time to get some perspective. It's time to get honest with yourself and honest with God. And it's time to run to Jesus just like the woman in this story. There's nothing we can do to earn God's grace. We just have to admit that we need it. But here in the end of Luke chapter 7, Simon the Pharisee still hadn't gotten there. Now, Simon did not hear Jesus say, Your sins are forgiven. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, Jesus was willing to say those words, but Simon wasn't willing to receive them. So what about us? Well, each one of us has a step to take. We have one of two options. First, you may need to accept the invitation for the first time. That means you admit that you're a sinner in need of God's grace. You put your faith in Jesus, you turn away from your old sinful life, and you're baptized into Christ, and you live a new life. You know, I I talk about this decision almost every week, and some of you have heard that, and you still haven't taken this step. And there could be all kinds of reasons for that, but please know, this invitation is for you. There's nothing in your past that disqualifies you from receiving God's forgiveness and salvation. God wants you to be a part of his family. You are definitely invited. So that's one step you might need to take. But if you've already accepted the invitation, there's another step that applies to all of us. God calls every follower of Jesus to extend the invitation. There are literally billions of people in this world who are currently separated from God. They don't have a relationship with Jesus. They have no hope of eternal life. You know, if the church is going to look anything like Jesus, we have to care about people who are lost and headed for an eternity separated from God. Heaven is for real, but hell is also real. So there's an urgency to our mission. The Apostle Paul writes about this in 2 Corinthians chapter five. Paul explains that all of us who follow Jesus are ambassadors of Christ. We represent him. We've been called to extend the invitation. In 2 Corinthians 5.20, Paul writes, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. You know, we can't make anyone do anything. In fact, God doesn't make anyone do anything. But we can love people enough to implore them, please be reconciled to God. Please know that you are invited no matter who you are, no matter what you've done. I'm excited to see how God will use our church this year to lead people to a life-changing relationship with Jesus. We don't know yet who's going to accept that invitation, but God knows. Maybe uh, one of our high school students will invite a friend to come to some event that happens in this new building, and maybe that friend will come to know Jesus. Or maybe there's a couple that's struggling in their marriage right now, And one of you invites this couple to come to a marriage building event that's coming later this year. And maybe that couple not only finds a restored relationship with each other, they also find a restored relationship with God. Or maybe one of you has a conversation with a friend who's going through a difficult time right now. And you explain the difference that Jesus has made in your life. And then later this year, you find yourself standing right over there baptizing your friend we've seen that before i'm confident that we'll see it again so let's be ready to welcome others let them know that they're invited we all have a step to take today accept the invitation extend the invitation let's pray father your love is greater than what we can imagine Lord, your grace is enough for each one of us. So, Lord, help us to uh, understand uh, that we are invited into your family, but also everyone is invited. Help us, Lord, to make people feel welcome. And I pray that you will work in hearts so that others will respond and accept that invitation. Lord, please work through our church this year. Lord, use us to share your love with others. I pray that we will see many lives changed by Jesus. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.